Good to see everyone here this morning as we gather in Foundations. Uh, my name's Eric Butterbaugh. I serve as one of the elders here, if I haven't met you. And uh, I'll be uh, teaching this morning as we continue um, in the Foundations today, actually, and next week, we'll be talking about marriage. I understand last week we talked about the theology of singleness. And so today and next week, we'll be, we'll be talking about marriage. Um, and let me just um, say at the outset, um, I'm going to pray now, but um, the church will, will know today, some of you may have heard, but um, our dear uh, sister Erin Brown has gone home to be with the Lord this morning. And so please pray for for uh, Kyle and the kids, and um, there'll be more announcements today at the, at the service, but let me, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your grace and for your love to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we gather on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, when Jesus rose from the dead. And Father, this morning, as our hearts are heavy for our Brother Kyle and their children, Father, we thank you that Aaron had the hope of Jesus. And by your grace, Lord, we praise you that she's with you now. God, we thank you, Father. And we pray, Lord, you would continue to comfort the whole Brown family and help us as a church to rejoice in you and to grieve, not as those without hope, but those who know the sureness of the resurrection. Father, help us as we think about marriage this morning and next week. Lord, give us your heart towards this wonderful institution that you have instituted. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we'll be looking at uh, the theology of marriage this week, kind of answering the question, what is marriage? Come on in, grab a handout there. And then this will focus kind of on a definition and the purpose of marriage. And then next week, Lord willing, we go a little deeper into the mission of marriage. Why marriage? Kind of looking at the outworking of the theology of marriage more practically. And we'll certainly see some overlap next week and this week in the verses that we look at. But the, the breakdown is the theology of marriage today. And then next week more, it's outworking or the, the why marriage. So what is marriage? So if I were to to ask you, if you took a poll today or tomorrow when you go to work and asked your coworkers or you just stood out on the street corner or asked your neighbors or anywhere and you asked people, what is marriage? What do you think would be some of the, the answers you might get? Yeah, some may. Yep. Okay. Yep. Sort of an antiquated cultural vestige of past years. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So definitely there would be a lot of different views about, about what marriage is and certainly what its purpose is. I think if you ask people what the purpose is, it would be very much focused on what they get out of it and the, and the benefit it is to the two people involved. Um, but as we're going to um, 
as, as we're going to see, that the, the, the root of some of those answers fundamentally would be that there is no acknowledgement of God being the one who created marriage and who owns marriage and actually owns every marriage. He's the one who designed it and enacted it. So today we're going to look at what God's word says about marriage. And our big idea there, if you have a handout, I'll grab one real quick. Hopefully there's enough. Thanks. <laughs> is marriage is a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman defined and enacted by God that is designed to bear fruit and showcase God's special intimate love for his people. So let's just jump in. It's something that marriage, or marriage is something that God defines and does. And you'll see a quote here. There's a couple quotes on our handout um, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor um, during World War II who stood up for Christ and stood against the Nazis, was put in prison and then executed. Um, and he, he had some quotes here about marriage that, that really kind of emphasize what we're looking at. And I'll just read this first one. As you gave the ring to one another and have now received it a second time from the hand of the pastor, so love comes from you, but marriage from above, from God. As high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the rights, and the promise of love. It is not your love that sustains marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains your love. So we'll see here that it's something that God defines. Marriage is his institution. Um, it's for his glory and for the good of mankind, and he alone has the right to define it because it's his doing, not man's. Uh, so the foundational uh, text for the institution of marriage, as we'll see next week as well, is Genesis 2, 18 to 25. If somebody could uh, turn there to Genesis 2 and read verses 18 to 25. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, brother. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave to all livestock and birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Great. Thank you, Ben. So this passage, after we, we see in Genesis 1, God created everything and said it was very good. In 2.18, we see God says that something was not good, and that was that man was alone and, and without a companion. Now, it didn't say he was lonely. It just said he was alone. And so though Adam had no idea what was wrong, uh, the Lord... Uh, <clears throat> The Lord did not make a woman at the same time he made man in order to make several critical points. And one of those points is, is this, that alone man cannot reflect the glory and splendor of God's relational covenant nature. 
Eve was created to help Adam image God, to help him visibly showcase to the universe what God is like. So we see in this passage that God takes upon himself to bring the, the woman to, to Adam. He, he makes her out of his body, showing the close relationship between, between men and women um, as God's image bearers. And Adam even explains, ex exclaims, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And what, what a kindness of the Lord, what a, what a blessing that he, he brought to, to Adam. And then we heard, as Ben read, in, in, in verse 24 of Genesis 2 is, is God's definition for marriage. It's God's only definition for marriage that we see in Scripture. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the same definition that, that Jesus in Matthew 19, we're going to look at scriptures there, and then Paul in Ephesians 5 uses. They quote Genesis 2.24. It is the foundational and the only definition that we see in scripture uh, for, for marriage. So a few things that we'll look at here about that definition uh, there on your handout. Um, the first thing that we see <clears throat> is that it's, the definition of marriage is that it, marriage involves a man and a woman. If somebody can just look at Genesis 127 and, re and read that out loud, and then um, somebody could look up Matthew 19, 4, and 5. We'll start with just Genesis 127, if somebody has that. So God created man in his own image. The image of uh, God created him, male and female. Great, thank you. So foundational to who we are as his image bearers is that we are male and female. Okay, somebody have uh, Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Good, thank you. So this is Jesus in response to the Pharisees who were asking him a question about divorce. And, and this he, he, he references Genesis 1.27. And then he quotes Genesis 2.24. Um, so to glorify God in the husband-wife relationship of marriage requires a man and a woman. Since primarily, as we'll see later, that marriage is designed to picture Christ and his bride, the church. So God's definition of marriage, and as we'll see later, its, it's main purpose, fundamentally, um, explains why not just any two people can get married. So as you mentioned, I think that's in, in our day and age, this question is obviously now um, much more, more prevalent or, or, or um, embraced. But according to scripture, God who designed marriage for a very specific purpose <clears throat> has made it clear that it involves one man and one woman. The second thing that we see is it's for life. Um, that God designed it to be a lifelong covenant that lasts until one spouse dies. So in, um, <clears throat> in Matthew 19, 6, which is printed there at the top of, of, of your handout, uh, we see after he, Jesus quotes Genesis 2, 24, about a husband and wife becoming one flesh, he says this, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate or, 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 or tear apart or, or, or divorce. So we see here that 
God's plan for marriage was always that it would be a lifelong covenant uh, while, while the partners are alive until death parts them. Um, while marriage is a sacred covenant and it's to last till death, it doesn't extend beyond this life. Um, it ends at death because it's only a shadow of the reality to come that we'll, that we'll look at a little more. Um, so we see this, this idea that marriage is only for this life in a couple passages. And so if I could get a couple people to look up somebody, uh, Romans 7, 1 to 4. And then um, if somebody else could look up Matthew 22, 23 to 33. Yeah, so in the Romans 7 passage, just by way of context here, so Paul is using marriage as an analogy of, of, of the law and the, and the believer's relationship to the law and how in the new covenant under Christ, we're no longer um, under the law of sin. We're no longer bound to the law. We're, 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 we've been released to be freed to another, to, to Christ. And then he, he uses marriage as, as that object lesson. If somebody can read uh, Romans 7, 1 to 4. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, we also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to, to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Amen. Thank you. Great. And then Paul even touches on there sort of the, the, the greater purpose of what marriage is supposed to show, show that, that actually it's our, our relationship as the church with Christ and bearing fruit to him. But primarily we see here that when one member dies, that the covenant um, ends, the marriage covenant ends. Um, then Matthew 22, a little bit longer passage, if somebody has that, um, verses 23 to 33. Sure, I got it. Um, Thanks. The same day came to him the Sadducees to say that there is no resurrection and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. <clears throat> now, there, now there were with us seven brethren, First, when he had married a wife, deceased, having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife, whose wife shall, shall be of the seven? They all had her. Jesus answered, said unto them, You do err, knowing that the scriptures know the power of God, not knowing the scriptures know the power of God. From the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as angels of God in heaven. Mm. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken of you? God saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. So here the Sadducees, who don't believe in a resurrection, are trying to trick Jesus with this, this scenario that they, 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 they make up. And um, Jesus makes it very clear. He says a very clear thing about marriage in verse 30. For, 
that for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So again, another clear passage that, that marriages don't continue on. Um, some of you may be familiar with Mormon doctrine, and they, they actually believe in eternal marriage covenants, that, that you can be continued, continue in marriage, and that continues in heaven, which is, which is, which is unbiblical. And the third thing that we see is um, that God guards marriage. So he defines it. So he, it's one man and woman. It's for life. But it's something that God... <clears throat> holds in very high regard and gives warnings of judgment on those who violate the sexual exclusivity of the marriage covenant. If somebody could look up Hebrews 13, 4 and 5 and read that. That marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. God will judge the sexually free from the love of money. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so in that ver in verse 4, we see here that that um, marriage and the the one flesh union in marriage is is very sacred and that God holds those who violate that um <clears throat> he, he gives warnings of, of severe judgment. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about God's jealousy of the purity and protection of the marriage covenant when we talk um a little bit more about the violation of the covenant. Okay, so something God defines, and then letter B there, something that God does. And we've seen this in the, in the verses that we've looked at. So God defines marriage, but he's also the one who, who gives marriage. It's something that he does. As we saw in Genesis 2, it was God who said it was not good for Adam to be alone. Marriage was God's idea. He created Eve for Adam. He planned and instituted the marriage relationship, and then he declared that a man should leave his father and mother and be, and be joined to him to his wife. So, so it's very clear. God authored it. He came up with it. It's his to dispose according to how he, he orders it. Um, so looking at <clears throat> another uh, truth that comes out here from Matthew 19, 6 that we read earlier, um, he gives marriage, but he's also the one, because it's his institution, that makes the two marriage partners one. Um, Jesus said that in 19.6, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So God is the one who joins the marriage partners together in, in, in the marriage, marriage covenant. So let me just ask a question. Why does it matter or what's the significance that God is the one that is actually joining the two people and making them one in, in, in the marriage covenant. Any thoughts? Yeah, it's Is that up to God and not to us how that relationship Great, yeah. Ending up death, like God prescribes, whereas in our right. current day and age, we would talk about like marriage really however we want. Exactly, that's good, yeah, that's great. Any other thoughts? Amen. Right. Amen. Great. Very, very good, good, good comments. Um, yeah, it, it shows that God is the author um, for, of, of all marriage, and that's not just for believers. I mean, marriage is an institution God, God ordained. 
um, and whether or not people choose or, or to live according to God's um, ordained institution, um, it is still his, his institution, and he, he ordains how it should be, um, how, how people should live in it. Um, and I think, as Zach said, you know, people tend to think often that, you know, marriage is something that I entered into and we entered into. And so when it no, it no longer seems to be working for us, um, you know, we can just leave at will or we no longer really feel that we're in love with each other. You know, our vision for our relationship has changed and we're just kind of going our separate ways. Um, you know, th that kind of thinking betrays the, the reality and the truth that, no, God has made this. He's joined the two people together. Another implication that we, we see from Scripture, and I'll just briefly mention it here, is that um, God gives in marriage, he joins them together, and then he says that the husband and wife don't have rights over their own bodies, that they are actually to serve and love one another um, and as we'll see later, as a picture of Christ's loving service to the church and his headship over the church. So in, in 1 Corinthians 7, um, <clears throat> you know, Paul, I won't read it all, but he, he mentions that marriage partners are to serve each other and to not deprive each other of physical intimacy, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we see the purpose is to... Um, to give this wonderful gift and wonderful picture of Christ's unity um, and, and the blessing that it is to, to husbands and wives and to protect it. Great, any other questions here on this first section, just of it's something that God defines and something that God does before we move on and talk a little bit about what it, what it pictures. Yeah. On the Genesis 2 text, yeah. the man leaves his father and mother in peace. I've always wondered why it's not the wife who leads. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I think as we as we get to um, this next passage in, in Ephesians five, is that um, you know the husband is the one who is to imitate Christ, and so he's the one to to be the, the initiator and the one to take that initiative and to, as it were, seek out um, and and pursue. Um, pursue the wife. Um, I think it, it, it's in that foundational sort of when God created us male and female and he created, he created Adam first, God brought Eve to him. But we see later, um, obviously, Christ is the one who sought out his bride when we were unlovely, unworthy of being sought out after, um, really had nothing to offer, but Christ pursued and lavished his, his covenant love on, on his people. Yeah. yeah. The, the one wife. So I know it's, it's a struggle, though, right? In the Old Testament, even though even David, even though he had yeah. sins, he repented other sins. But it doesn't seem to be that I've had numerous wives. And he's not the only one. No. He's a man after God's own heart. So how do you reconcile yeah. a man that is one wife, one husband? Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. And and I think I would just say is is how you. Um, basically put it, it, it is true. God's design was always for one man to have one wife, um, never to have multiple, multiple spouses. So that, that, although we see descriptions of it and even um, appearing that, that, that was sort of um, tolerated or allowed, um, certainly isn't 
as we see, as we're going to turn to Ephesians 5, um, it doesn't fit with Genesis 2.24 or with, with the picture that we see in Ephesians 5. So, yeah. Um, as you, and as we see, um, there was not blessing in, in all of those relationships. There was strife, there was jealousy, there was... So, so it, it wasn't that, oh, this happened and, wow, it was wonderfully blessed to have multiple wives. Any other comments, Russell? Or? Okay. Yeah, great question, though. Yep. Okay, well, let's, let's go now to, um, to marriage is a lifelong covenant that magnifies God's love. And again, like I said, this week and next week, we'll, we'll get more into this. But um, this is really sort of the, the, you know, the peak in Scripture where we see what God's doing in marriage, what his purpose in marriage. So if somebody could look at Ephesians 5, 31 and 32... And read that. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Amen. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, so we see in these verses that God's ultimate purpose in marriage is to reflect the union of Christ and the church. A marriage symbolizes God's passionate, never-ending covenant love to the church. Um, the language that we see of leaving and cleaving or holding fast to, it's, it's covenant language. Um, and I'll, I'll stand corrected if I, if I get covenant wrong here, Ben, Robin, because I know you studied <laughs> it. Um, but, but covenant is, is, is a, um, a solemn agreement that's based on promises. And, um, and so, so covenants, we see them throughout the Bible. We won't go into it all, but it's, um, there's, a, there is a, there's promises made. There's um, um, blessings to, to be had from that. And as we see uh, in, in this passage, and as we think about Christ in the church, um, the, um, <clears throat> the covenant that Christ gives us in the new covenant is, is completely all his doing. All the requirements on our side, he's done. So he did all the, all the requirements for, for, for both parties, if you will. And what a huge blessing. He passionately loves uh, the church. And it's a reminder that Christ will never leave his bride. So God uses the most intimate human relationship to picture his love for his bride. Um, and so marriage is a, pic is a picture of God and is formed and sustained by his presence. Uh, here's a quote from... Um, Jeff Bromley in God in Marriage. As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. I think that's a great, great way of seeing that, that, um, that uh, we're made in his image and temporary earthly marriages picture the eternal real marriage of Christ and his, his bride. Um, in John Piper's book, maybe some of you have read, it's a great book, This Momentary Marriage. He says, he says this, staying married is not mainly about staying in love. It's about covenant keeping. So it's about being in a covenant and, and maintaining that covenant for the glory of God. Um, so we see their um, passion and, and, and picture of what marriage is in, in, in the gospel, in Christ and the church. Secondly, there, um, violations of the covenant. 
as a, uh, as a result of the depth of the character of God that he reveals in marriage, God takes violations to the covenant very seriously. As we said earlier, we read that Hebrews uh, uh, 13 passage. Um, there's judgment on the, um, on the adulterer and the sexually immoral. So let's, let's look at, at first at, at um, divorce. Just briefly, we're going to touch on this in the, in the theology of marriage. Hear what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 6 to 9. So we just read um, Matthew 19, 4 to 6, where Jesus reaffirms the, the purpose of marriage, that what God joins together, man should not uh, put apart. Um, so for context in this, this response from Jesus, the Pharisees were asking if divorce were allowed for any cause. Um, so there were a couple schools of teaching at the time that interpreted Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4 differently. That passage um, talks about a man giving a certificate of divorce to his wife and sending her away. So there was a couple schools. Um, uh, one school under a rabbi named Hillel said that even for the slightest reason, a man could divorce his wife. So it was basically, if you just didn't, weren't pleased with her, you could divorce her. Um, there was another school under Shammai said that the reason had to be more severe, it had to be a severe indecency, a severe... Um, violation of the covenant um, to warrant divorcing her. We see Jesus kind of just blows those two camps out and he goes to the real core of what marriage is supposed to, supposed to picture. He has a higher view of the marriage covenant. Um, listen to Matthew 6, 19, 6 to 9. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of a divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus underscores that marriage is a solemn covenant to be honored for life. Um, again, because what it's meant to reflect and except for cases of sexual immorality, Jesus says divorce is out of question because it mars the image of his covenant with the church. And similarly, we see that um, adultery, so that's divorce, adultery mars the def and defaces the image of Christ's exclusive intimate love for his bride. Um, so Paul, if in, in 1 Corinthians 16, 7, Paul kind of makes these con this connection of the one flesh union in marriage and how it points to the reality of the one spirit union of Christ and his people, both the one flesh, um, the one spirit union, both individually and corporately. So 1 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17 says, or do you not know that he who is joined or holds fast to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So again, um, this, this picture in marriage of, of when a husband and a wife are, are, are one flesh is actually picturing the intimacy of Christ's one spirit union with his people. Um, both individually we have Christ's spirit in us if we are Christians, but, but also in, in 1 Corinthians and, and more profoundly is the corporate nature of being a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so... So when there is a, a violation of that human covenant, 
whether it's through divorce or in this case, adultery or other forms of sexual immorality, it is shattering. It's, it's breaking that, that beautiful picture that Christ is, is, is um, painting. Um, so as we think about the theology of marriage, as we've been talking here, um, why is right theology of marriage so critical to walking in purity to honor the Lord? Kind of answered it, but given any other thoughts, why would a right theology of marriage be critical for walking in purity and holiness before the Lord? Amen. Amen. Sister, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Those are great, great thoughts. Yeah, I think, again, it, it gets to the point that if we don't have God's view of marriage, the theology of what marriage is and what its purpose is, we'll put our pleasures, our desire for pleasures and for ourselves above God. So we think we can treat marriage, divorce, sex, and relationships as, as we like and do it just as you said, what seems right, right to us. But when we see the marriage for the picture it is, um, and that we're designed to reflect his intimate covenant, love with his choice, chosen people, it actually should cause us to tremble at the thought of, of doing something that would, would break that and, um, and just praying for God's grace and help by his spirit um, to, to picture that well. Jesus never will commit adultery against the church. He'll never divorce the church. He'll never have a, have a lover on the side. He is committed to his people. And so um, that's why God cares so much about marriage and, and, it, and its purity. Okay, well, let's, let's move on from the passion and picture now to, um, to Ephesians 5, where, where Paul has already told us what marriage is supposed to depict. But now we'll go a little bit more into um, the roles of husband and wife, the purpose of husband and wife in, in showing forth that, that glorious gospel relationship between Christ and the church. Um, so if somebody could read Ephesians 5, 25 to 30, we'll start with the husbands first here. Ephesians 5, 25 to 30. Does somebody have that? Did you read it? Okay, thanks, Zach. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, mm -hmm. without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. 
because we are members of his body. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. So clearly here we're taught that as husbands, we're to love love our wives as Christ loved the church with a self-sacrificial love, a care for her as we care for our own bodies. It's just interesting thinking that when God made Eve, he made her out of Adam. She was part of his body. Um, and even Paul later on talks about, you know, how, you know, woman came from man, but now man comes from woman. And that it's all designed to show God's wisdom and his, his beauty of, and, and how, how we as male and female are, are just beautifully fit together um, in, in marriage and in, in God's purposes. Um, this is a quote from John Henderson, former DRB staff pastor. I wasn't sure where it came from in the notes, maybe from his, um, might be from his book, Catching Foxes on, on premarital uh, counseling. I'm not sure, but it's a great quote, quote from John Henderson. Uh, he says, a man is not called to love his wife as she deserves, but as Christ deserves. A refusal to love our wives for any reason whatsoever is not firstly a statement about our wives or even our view of our wives, but it is firstly a statement about Jesus Christ and our view of Jesus Christ. It's very, very true and, and a wonderful encapsulation of, of this picture the husband's to have. So husbands are to lead as Christ led. Christ's love was not passive. He took the initiative, as we said earlier, in seeking the salvation of his people, his church, and offering his life as an atonement for us. He provides protection, spiritual and physical, so a husband should too. Christ provides provision, spiritual and physical, a husband are called to as well. Now there's a huge difference between Christ and we've fallen husbands. Um, he was perfect. He never sinned. Husbands aren't perfect like Christ. So the headship that we're to imitate is not licensed to abuse, authority, but rather it's a weighty responsibility um, for which we as husbands will give an account to God. Um, husbands are to love as Christ loved with humble, sacrificial, other-focused love. Philippians 2, 5 to 8 shows us how Christ loved. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So amazing example uh, that we see of Christ's humble, uh, self-sacrificing love. And then if we look, we'll turn here now to um, letter C. <clears throat> so in this picture between husbands and wives, wives are called to submit to their husbands as Christ does to the church. If somebody could read 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. Okay. Thank you. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let their adorning, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let the adorning be hidden be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God 
used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is right. Great. Yeah, thank you. So, so Peter lays out this, this picture of, of a woman's um, submission to her husband like Christ submits, or like the church submits to Christ. Um, John Henderson says this about a wife's call to, to submission. A wife is not called to submit to her husband as he deserves, but as Christ deserves. A wife's refusal to live in respectful and joyful submission to her husband is firstly and primarily a reflection of her low view of Jesus Christ. In her eyes, he is not worthy of her submission. After all, Jesus submitted to his father in becoming a man, in becoming a slave, in being mocked and crucified. Wives are not called to be mocked and crucified, simply respectful and honoring toward their husbands. So again, just the the way, as was shared, how we live in our marriages, keeping that that ultimate picture in mind is, is so powerful. And then um, Bonhoeffer says this, um, speaking about both husbands and wives in marriage, says, Within, with your marriage, you are founding a home. That needs a rule of life. And this rule of life is so important that God establishes it himself, because without it, everything would be out of joint. You may order your home as you like, except in one thing. The wife is to be subject to her husband, and the husband is to love his wife. Let me pause there before we talk a little bit more about what is submission, because I want to go into that just maybe a little bit, but any thoughts, comments of, of what we've covered here so far on, on this, this, this picture of, of marriage? Yeah. In the, the Passion of Purity portion, um, yeah, yeah. So I think this is a, a, a conversation. So Paul does also talk in, you know, in the epistles about um, certain situations. Um, the elders actually have had had discussions about this, and and um, and so I won't. We won't go into into you know, every, every little situation. Um, but um, clearly the ones that Jesus talks about and Paul about abandonment. Um, but in those situations where a husband is supposed to image Christ and is so, so um, horribly not doing it and where a woman is not safe and she's not, uh, and is not being cared for, but is actually being um, harmed by her husband. I think in those cases that um, the elders and, and, um, uh, wisdom, you know, needs to be applied as to what the what what the right um, you know what the right actions would be. But I think again, um, in light of what Jesus said, the the, the picture is a lifelong covenant. Um, but when one person is 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 um, sinned against so grievously, um, yeah, there may there may be there may be cause and through prayer and applying these scriptures. Um, that would that would just make sure that that um, that somebody is 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 protected. But like Jesus said, you know, um, you know what man what God has joined together, let not man put a, put apart. And so that's that should be the weight. And then in certain situations where there's 
um, horrible uh, failure of, of fulfilling, uh, fulfilling the, the role, especially of protecting and providing, then yeah, um, there, there, could be, there could be other grounds. But there's a lot of scriptures and, and, and discussions that have been had on that and, and will continue to be had. But clearly, um, to protect somebody in a, an abusive relationship is, is what we would do and what we are called to do. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, sort of along those lines, in the instance of, of abuse or other circumstances, there have been an instance where you were perhaps at a church question whether it was actually God who brought that marriage together or whether that was man's doing and therefore not necessarily validated. Yeah, and I'll let, I'll let um, Russell chime in too. But actually, I, I would say that based on what... Um, what we said earlier about a marriage where there was a covenant entered into, um, that, um, yeah, that we see that, that um, if it was entered into, um, as, as God describes what a marriage is, where they, they take vows and they're promising to, to do that. Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would have to question, yeah. I, I think I would, ha- would know a little bit more of, of the, the situation. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know, Russell, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, if the question is whether it was a valid marriage, let's say absolutely, and that yeah. provides the basis for holding the husband accountable in that situation. That's, that, yeah. There is a violation of an existing covenant, um, yeah. and that's, that's the basis for them acting. Um, but certainly the husband's actions will call all sorts of things into question, but if he's a professing believer acting in that way toward his. Yeah, yeah. Because again, I think as we said earlier that that it's God who joins, and and if people have entered into a covenant, um, then they, they are in a covenant before God, and so there's accountability though for it. Good. All right. Well, let's. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, so you said that a a woman is not. To love her husband in you know in a way that kind of looks past um, kind of abuse and kind of ridicule and mocking and all that. My question is, wouldn't a husband be called to do the same to love his wife through abuse and mocking and ridicule? Because it's the husband who loves the wife as Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. And if a if husband, it's if you don't have to continue through that through ridicule, mocking, and abuse. I don't understand how that would be imitating Christ. There's different rules there. Is that true? Well, I would say that they're both called to live um, according to the, the covenant that they've made, the husband to love his <laughs> wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife to, um, to submit to her husband. Um, I, think, I think in the case of... of um, I think that question was with, you know, uh, severe or, or physical abuse, then um, where the husband is not fulfilling that position, um, that, that there should be um, care from, from, from the church and others to, to, to protect her. But I think I would absolutely agree. We are, we are called to, to love and to care for one another, especially the husband, as Christ does to the church. Well, I guess my question was, are there different rules for husbands and wives? 
Okay. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think we, again, there, it would have to be, you know, to be, to be, um, um, to be looked at. And, and if somebody, I would just say, if somebody in the marriage is, is, is unsafe, if it's unsafe, then, um, or, or somebody's being physically abused, we'd want to just address that. But I don't think that changes the, what's being called here. We're called to, um, in, in the marriage covenant to, 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 to persevere and, and to, um, yeah, to picture Christ's persevering love for the church and the submission of, of the church to Christ. I don't know if that... There's more like, are there different rules? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would just say that um, we're called to, to, um, to obey what, what God says in the marriage, marriage covenant and that um, I think, um, I don't know if you're specifically talking about abuse or if it's just in general. Um, kind of in general, I mean, I think there are different rules because the Bible gives different descriptions of what husbands are supposed to provide or wives are supposed to provide. And mm-hmm. so it does seem that a husband could apparently endure more abuse and ridicule than the Bible describes a wife doing. And it seems that the wife should be a little bit more submissive to stupid request than the husband should be. And it's, you know, that's not an excuse, but it's at least a guidance for me. It does seem to me like there are different rules in that the Bible gives. Yeah, I guess I would just say there's different roles, and the husband is bears the weight of the marriage and of loving his wife. And and so I think Ultimately, like when Adam and Eve sinned, God went to Adam. So Adam is ultimately responsible for um, um, for for caring. And yes, as the one who who has been given that headship role, there's there's great great responsibility. Um, and I think too, though, at the same time, a wife. And I think it's to the, the quotes that we read. A wife um, is 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 called to be respectful and joyful to her husband. Um, because that's how how um, the church is called to be towards Christ. We're we're supposed to image image those things. So um, anyway, no good comments, and um, I think yeah, um, hope, hopefully hopefully um, yeah, very is 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 clear that um, husbands, and I just I would just say that the, the weight really does fall on on the husband to to lead and love as Christ did and that the wife is also called to submit um, but if if you had to as you said put different you know weight on that the headship role the accountability um, is is with the husband yeah I think that goes to the importance of what Barrett was talking about uh, I mean Russell was talking about uh, uh, like being part of both church having elders involved people understanding spiritual authority that there's been a conflict in marriage, that reconciliation is not in the body of Christ. Yeah. And also, too, there's a, a big distinction between separation. There's some mistakes between abuse and divorce. Yeah. Um, and then you can do separation, not be divorced. Yeah. And that's why each circumstance is very part of a lot of seeking yeah. wisdom from the Holy Spirit from the body of Christ, from God's work. 
Amen. And, and, and definitely it's something to, to, you know, to, to obviously pray for your elders and, and because um, th- th- they are, they're all difficult situations. But I think the principles that the theology that we're trying to cover here today is that it should weigh heavy on everybody. It should weigh heavy on all of us in a good way, but also in a sobering way, because <laughs> we don't see this weight in, in marriages in the world or in, in, in what the world views as marriage. And so I think just by, um, and, and as you said, that's where being in, in community with one another, where we can help one another, like I'm really struggling with, with my role. And well, let's, let's you know, we, we wanna encourage you and help you to lead as Christ led and, or, to, or to submit as Christ submitted. So, amen. All right, well, let's continue here um, on, um, <clears throat> on just briefly here on, on what is uh, submission. So again, from Piper's Momentary Marriage, submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Now, it's not a call to, for a wife to stop thinking, to be ignored, or to follow a husband into sin. Rather, it's a posture that faithfully illustrates how Christ's bride joyfully follows the leadership of Christ himself. Um, so some characteristics of submission, um, awareness that submission continues on earth, what is in heaven. So 1 Corinthians eleven three says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So we see this picture that a husband is under the headship of Christ. And, and, and we're talking marriage here. And so um, there's this, this picture as Christ submits to the church, as a wife submits to her husband. Um, but the husband is also reminded, you are under Christ, and is the, as is the wife. And then Christ himself submits to the Father. And so we see submission in that sense in, in the in the biblical sense is, is glorious it's beautiful it's part of god's design you can't it it wouldn't function without headship and submission and we see that christ um, models that in his submission to his father um, so for wives hope in christ not your husband as we we've, we've talked about first peter 3 5 proverbs 31 25 um, submission is an internal adornment, a gentle and quiet spirit that we read in First Peter, that First Peter three passage in verses three and four, and it's fearless, based in faith. First um, Peter three six, the example of, of Sarah. So, just um, as a summary of and, and kind of an important note, um, as husbands are called to display the leadership and sacrificial love of Christ, and wives are just called to display the church's joyful submission. Um, we know that we cannot do this in the flesh. We can't do this by ourselves. Um, in Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, which is right before talking about wives submitting to husbands and husbands um, loving their wives, um, Paul talks about in verse 18, do not get drunk, get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Everything Paul says then after that depends on on being filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit enables addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always, submitting to one another, wives to your own husbands, husbands loving your wives. Um, For husbands and wives to image that, we need the Holy Spirit and we need to be filled with Him. and, and, And so continually reminding ourselves of what marriage is, the theology of marriage, why God has, has, has put this and what it's to display, walking in the spirit and in his word. 
will empower us um, to, to do that. So the last section here, briefly, is um, an institution that we learn, it's an institution to bless others. Um, and there's another um, quote there, I won't read it from, from, from Bonhoeffer, um, but briefly we can just talk about um, God designed marriage um, for making children and for making them followers of Christ. Now, we know that God alone gives physical and spiritual life. And in his kindness, he has designed that we as his image bearers are, are part of that process. He uses us in the means of bringing about both physical and spiritual life. Um, for the married, we're to employ the sowing and reaping means God designed in the one flesh union for bringing about physical children. But with the awareness that God is the one who creates life, God opens and closes the womb, but we are to seek children if we're married. Um, we see that from, from Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's part of the, the mandate that God gave, gave in marriage. Um, and whether we're single or married, we're commanded to sow spiritual gospel seed as a means that God uses to create spiritual children. So we plant gospel seeds by evangelism, by training our children in the ways of the Lord, praying. We, we sow the seed in their hearts, we pray, we water it with prayer, but realizing that spiritual life is God's prerogative and he uses those means. He tells us to go use those means, but, but God alone can, can give life to our children or to the people we're evangel evangelizing. Um, so regarding physical children, um, we should have an attitude that sees children as a gift and as a blessing and as a good responsibility from God. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Um, the fruit of the womb is a reward. So um, again, as we think about imaging God, and, and even as we heard earlier about bearing fruit for God from that Romans uh, passage, Romans 7, um, a marriage that doesn't desire children or has not making an attempt to have children is actually out of step with, with, with Scripture. So um, it's a warning sign for a couple not willing to have children. The second thing, um, spiritual children, uh, bringing up disciples for the kingdom of God, we see that this is actually higher, uh, higher blessing um, even than physical children. And we're thankful for physical children, but we pray that God would make spiritual children. Mark 10, 29 and 30 says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So again, having physical children is important, but it's not ultimate. God's kingdom is ultimate and is not spread by physical procreation. Um, so just in closing, um, for all of us, whether you're here and you're single or, or, or married, obviously we're talking about marriage, but <clears throat> We all learn from marriage, whether we're married or, or single. And it's a picture, a temporary picture, of the kind of relationship that God has for his people. Um, and even those who are not physically married, who are not married um, in this life, <clears throat> we learn from marriage because if you're in Christ, we're all married. We're all married to Jesus uh, as, as his bride, the church. And he is our, our Lord and our head. Um, so 
John Piper says this, he says, single person, married person, do you want children, mothers, brothers, sisters, and lands? As we read from that Mark passage, renounce the primacy of your natural relationships and follow Jesus into the fellowship of the people of God. And the last thing, just kind of wrapping this all up, um, Piper writes, he says, the most fundamental thing we can say about marriage is that it is the doing of God. And the ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it is the display of God. The reason that it is the display of God is that in Christ, God has made a new covenant with his people. In it, he promises to forgive and justify and glorify all who turn to him from sin and receive Christ as Savior and Lord and supreme treasure of their lives. Marriage between a man and a woman was designed from the beginning to be a reflection and display of that blood-bought covenant relationship. Yes? Um, I was single for more than 10 years before I got married. And I would always look at marriage as communities or whatever. And I'm like, how do I want to be married? Like, you guys aren't happy. But what's funny is, like, now, out of all of this, nothing was about happiness. You know? Yeah. Like, and yet, all marriages, that's how they start. Well, you make me happy. Like, there's like, none of it. Like, right. and, and we're so. Um, taught in this world that everything begins with how a feeling instead yeah. of theology, yep. and like how much greater it would be if happiness wasn't our goal. You right. make me happy, let's get married. Right. But like, let's honor Christ. Like yeah. how that would Amen. change things. You know? Amen. And praise God, He brings joy and delight in marriage as we submit to Him and we submit to His way and we subdue our flesh and we say no to our feelings. And we do what God tells us to do out of faith and by the power of his spirit. There is much joy and blessing. Praise God. Marriage is a delight. But you're right. That's not the focus. It's not about, well, I'm not feeling it anymore. That's irrelevant. But even if you're not happy in your marriage, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. somebody says I'm not happy, like, well, it's not about know. that. Like, right. What is, what is your goal? Our goal should be following Christ with all our Amen. It's good. Let me pray for us. And then if you have other comments or questions, I'd be happy to stay after, but I know some people probably need to go and, and, um, and get kids. So let me, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your love to us in Christ. God, we thank you for the, the gift of marriage, Lord, that you have created, that you made. God, we pray that um, the truths from your word would move those of us who are married um, for husbands to love our wives better, Lord, by your power and by your grace, to love them as Christ loved the church. And for wives, by your grace and by your spirit, to submit joyfully to their husbands. And that together, Lord, we would marriages in, in our church, Lord, would, would glorify you. They would uh, be a praise to you and to the watching world of, of the sacrificial love, the beautiful gospel forgiveness that we, we receive in your son, Father. God, we love you. We praise you. And we ask that you bless us as we now go and, and worship you in your house. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.